The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Everybody, thank you for tuning into the Keeping It Beauty Show. I am your host, Akila C. Thompson. If this is your first time listening to our show, we are so glad that you have joined us this evening. You can catch up on all of our shows uh, by listening to our archives on iHeartRadio.com by searching Keeping It Beauty. Every Monday, we're here at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live on W4CY Radio, where we aim to inspire you to elevate your dreams, your love, and your life. I'm extremely excited to be back in New York. Uh, Last week, I broadcast live from Atlanta and had the opportunity to attend the 67th Boule, which is the National Convention of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, where I was amongst 22,000 uh, women uh, that were in attendance and it was just such a I had such gratitude to be amongst that many women of color who are college educated and just dedicated to service uh, I also had the opportunity while being there to forge begin forging a lot of relationships with organizations based in Atlanta that'll be partnering with us for our confidence is queen back to school girls summit at Georgia State University on August 6th so I'm excited to make some announcements this evening about some of our sponsors and our speakers. So we're excited to have Investment Management Enterprises and Agile uh, Management Inc. as our title sponsor and the CEO, Twyla Garrett, who is an incredible businesswoman who I have met many times um, at UN Summits. She is actually going to to be with us and uh, is key uh, into the decision for uh, her company to be our title sponsor. So thank you, Twyla and investment management enterprises. We also receive sponsorships from Shea Moisture, Chick-fil-A, as well as Miss Jessie. So we're going to have um, not only good food, but giveaways to give all the girls that will be in attendance. We're also very excited to have Raquel Smith, who is a celebrity stylist, who many people may not know, but who's been Beyonce stylist for many years. So she'll be with us. She's an Atlanta native, and she'll be with us discussing fashion as well as just her career journey with the girls that will be in attendance. So we're really excited excited about that and Alondra Rayner who is a makeup artist that actually uh, uh, helped me in, in some of my modeling endeavors here in New York and now lives in Atlanta and she is a not only a celebrity makeup artist but also author and she's going to be with us facilitating a conversation about inner and outer beauty and of course you know yours truly I will be there creating an eye and beauty experience that I'm hoping that Atlanta will never forget so as mentioned the event will take place on August 6th from 9 a.m 
a.m. to 5 p.m. It's open to all girls 13 to 18 years of age and will be at Georgia State University. So if you want to register for that and get more information, you can go to confidenceisqueenatl.eventbrite.com. I'll say it again. It's confidenceisqueenatl.eventbrite.com. The event is absolutely free while supplies last. So definitely get your tickets and share uh, information about the event. So switching gears for tonight's topic, which I'm always excited about uh, my shows, but it's always great uh, when I can speak to some men. And last week while I was in Atlanta, I wanted to support the Bank Black Movement and um, open an account at a Black-owned bank. What I didn't know is that I was going to end up spending almost three hours uh, passionately (laughs) engaging in conversation about just all the different things that's been going on and really questioning like what's as what's our what's next as uh, as an African-American community. And the conversation was just so engaging and thought provoking that I, I said to two of the guys that I was talking to, like, Please come on my show, and I really want to bring this conversation to our listeners because so much of the different things that we were hitting on, I knew were things that um, our listeners are probably thinking, and I wanted to just have a an engaging conversation o- on air. So tonight, two of the gentlemen that will be with us this evening, I actually met at the bank. Um, and last week, to those that missed the show, we had a great conversation with Vivian Anderson and Key Williams, who are organizers from the Black Lives Matter movement. So if you missed that show last week, definitely go check it out. But uh, tonight's topic is a conversations with men, uh, black in black in America in 2016. So tonight we're just going to discuss some of the recent things that have been going on, acts by police and against police. Uh, have our guests share some of their experiences as, as black men living in America, uh, talking about some of the uh, initiatives like Bank Black and the No Equality, No Economy movement, and just what they think is really needed um, in this day and age to create change. So tonight we have with us Quentin Davis, who is 29 years young, born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. He is a real estate investor, serial entrepreneur, philanthropist, and world traveler. He believes his mission and purpose is to empower those who want to change their life and change the world for the better with the knowledge and skills they need to do so. We also have with us Rashad Hoggart, who's a graduate of North Carolina A&T State University from Plymouth, North Carolina, and currently residing in New York. He is the current director of the City University of New York Service Corps and adjunct professor, a minister, and a social justice activist. And last, but certainly not least, we have Aaron Steele, who is 35 years old from Boston and currently resides in Atlanta, Georgia. He has worked in private security for many years and currently runs his own company, the Red Lions Group LLC. His job has allowed him to visit different places and meet amazing people, and he says he is definitely blessed to do what he does. So welcome to the show, gentlemen, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for oh, having me. No no Thank you so, so much, Akila. <laughs> so who else do we have there? We we have Quentin. Are you there? Yes, ma'am. I'm here. It's Mr. Quentin Davis. Okay, and Rashad, you're there? I'm here. Okay, awesome. And Aaron. Okay. So thank you all again for, for joining me. So 
Tonight is the first day of the Republican National Convention where Donald Trump is the presumptive nominee. And it's also a day after another ambush of policemen leaving three police officers dead in Baton Rouge. So I just want to just first get your opinion on all of this, because by me just even mentioning the Republican convention where Trump is the presumptive nominee. And now we're with everything that, you know, I don't need to say again about all the recent killings that have happened and what happened in Dallas. And now just most recently what happened in, in Baton Rouge. Like, what are your feelings today? Uh, I guess I'll go first. This is Aaron. Uh, last but not least, of course. <laughs> um, I think that I'm, I'm extremely angry um, at the at the uh, the recent events that are going on. Uh, like we discussed before in the bank, there's some sort of disconnect between the police and the black community that's causing uh, causing these things to happen. And I think that you know what's going on in terms of the shootings on police officers are just a direct result of that fact. Hmm. So Aaron's angry. How are you feeling, Quentin and, and Rashad? Uh, Rashad, <clears throat> you know, Akila, thank you so much for the invitation to, to join you this evening. There's some mixed emotions I have because while we are sympathetic to the families of the police officers, uh, who've been murdered, killed over the past week or so in, in Baton Rouge and, of course, in, in Dallas. We also have to be mindful of the ongoing uh, killing that have been happening for centuries, 300 and some years for African-American bodies uh, in this country. And so when we consider the number, the large numbers just this year, I think it's over 50, of uh, African-American men and women who have been killed uh, in the hands of the police, law enforcement. Uh, those numbers are mighty small in comparison. And I think all lives uh, we talk about are sacred. But when, when we begin to think about black life, uh, it's, it's, it's very disheartening. It's very frustrating to know that uh, even in 2016, it is an insult for us to have to lift up this notion uh, to the broader community that our lives are significant, meaning black people of African ancestry. Our lives do matter. And for us to still have to address this blissfully confused notion now is just uh, a testament to the fact that we have a lot of work to do. Mm. Mm. All right, Quentin. How are you feeling? Uh, I mean, the touchback, what he's saying, you know, we, uh, I've known about this for a while, and my question for everybody is, you know, uh, how long has this been really going on, and how much of this information that we've seen now we haven't had act to because of cell phones? You know, uh, if we didn't have cell phones and social media, would this even be important, you know? Because we wouldn't know about these killings. We wouldn't see exactly firsthand these people getting murdered on Facebook Live or Snapchat or anything like that. And the technology is only that's allowing us to see this type of thing. But like, like uh, Rashad is saying, this has been going on since uh, day one we were brought up here, you know? It's been going on since 1609, August 20th, 1609, when we were brought up here from slavery. So we've been uh, going through these things with 
uh, touting and killings and unnecessary violence and trying to prove ourselves that we're all human. And it, to me, it's just exhausting to keep going back and forth on this. And, you know, my, my thing is trying to find out what is our solution that we can do so we don't keep proving people that we are human. Mm. Uh, Quentin, you're you you're you're a little you're breaking up a little bit, so you may actually need to call in on a on a landline. I'm not sure if you're still um, through Skype or or what, but you're just breaking up a little bit. So we want to make sure that we we can hear you. So you may want to just try to to call um, on a, on an actual landline. Um, so thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, for actually really sharing, um, that to really just set the context for uh, our conversation this evening. And I think, um, what, uh, I, I want to actually go back to what Aaron started with, with that there, with us just being angry, because I think that, uh, anger is, is, is I think, um, uh, an emotion that many of us share, but how do we prevent and being angry tragedies like what's happened in Dallas and what's now happened in Ballot Rouge from happening. Because as a result of, we had uh, organizers from the Black Lives Matter movement on the show last week, these tragedies are now creating uh, this fear now in America, where a, a part of, of why um, the numbers are so disproportionate with Black people is because, to a degree, there's some fear um with the cops and with black people. So now with, you know, the, the situations where we have uh, black people going out there ambushing police is now potentially going to create an even bigger problem and, and create more fear. And I don't think that that's the direction in which we, we want to be heading. So I'm just curious in, 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 in wanting to know both of your opinion on, yes, we're all angry, but is what's happening in Dallas and Baton Rouge the way that we should really be going about this? Not saying that we organized this or even had anything to do with this, but it's only been a week and this has happened again. Right. At the rate we're going, there's a concern that this can continue to happen because people are right. angry, because we are all grieving, we are all upset, and I don't think you know uh, other uh, uh, you know people that are not black understand just how much this is really affecting everybody in our community right um if i can just piggyback off of what the brother rashad was saying is that um he, he he's right in terms of like you can be angry but at the same time um i don't think um the 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 route of shooting police officers and sniping from sniping them from buildings and whatnot is the answer um you know i've had relationships with people who are police officers. I still have friends who, who are cops in, in, in different cities and, and obviously doing what I do. Um, you know, we work closely with, with law enforcement in most cases. And to tell you the truth, um, I don't really get uh, the fact that, you know, a lot of police officers are, um, you know, looking to gun down black men. Now, that's not obviously to say that it's not happening uh in terms of, you know, the mindset, because the mindset is out there. Racism is out there. But I don't think that us taking the fight to them, so to speak, is the answer at all. Mm. Rashad? Well, you know, I think it was, well, I know it was, it was uh, Kwame Ture, Stokely Carmichael, who said that we need to really be very strategic, not being emotional, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of these things that are transpiring now are out of emotion. But, you know, listen, I'll go back to the fundamental point. Going to, I think we've now hit a boiling point. Mm-hmm. And to just simply put it in, a, you know, in very layman's terms, you can't keep abusing, dehumanizing, marginalizing, oppressing uh, a group of individuals uh, that signals to us we are not worthy, we are not relevant, we have no significance in this society. You embrace our culture, you embrace our history, our uh, uh, but you have a very uh, limited understanding of who we are as human beings in terms of our work. And so after a while, you get to a boiling point. And these people who are coming out, though they might be going about it the wrong in the wrong way, they're simply suggesting that they are tired of seeing their fellow sisters and brothers, human beings, uh, being killed at the hands of those who are supposed to be the ones who are protecting. Uh, I, I, I really think now it, it, it's based on two things. One is we, we have to go about organizing, but we also have to think very critically in terms of how do we begin to think more about economic sanctions mm. in such a way that we do not uh, dismiss our sisters and brothers who are working for some of these major corporations and organizations, but also help other people to understand that you cannot continue uh, to take beautiful lives, mm-hmm. souls, no matter who they are, what their socioeconomic station is in life. It doesn't matter if they're selling a CD. It doesn't matter if they were selling Lucy's. It does not matter if they were walking from a convenience store with uh, Skittles and uh, in their hands. All of our lives are significant. All of our lives are worthy. And these, these are talented and, and, and brilliant uh, individuals who have been killed more times than not by the, because of the color of their skin. And mm. so I think if we, if we really want to be serious about dismantling a system that conspires to keep us oppressed, we're going to have to really think in critical terms about organizing as people, saving our money, and then, two that, you know, dealing with economic sanctions, and two, organizing one another and doing relevant things in the community like you're doing right now, Akila, with the, with the, young, the young women with I Am Beauty. I think mm-hmm. because in the long, the long term, that has a significant impact and how they see themselves and their place in, in the world. Hmm. Thank you, Brother Rashad. <laughs> Do we have Quinn back? Are you there, Quinn? Yeah. Okay. okay. It still sounds like you're you're breaking up a bit. Did you did you want to add anything, Quinn? Uh, not, not at the moment. I'm gonna add on whatever else topics you got now. <laughs> I mean, he spoke on everything. <laughs> No, 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 bro. That's why I wanted to have Rashad as a part of this conversation. We go way, way back from A&T, and um, he's actually uh, one of the reasons how I ended up in the bank. He's been very vocal on social media, and, and based on one of his posts, I said, you know, while I'm in Atlanta, I know there isn't a bank close to me that I'm going to make sure that I go somewhere and that I, I get involved in this by any way that I can. And then just using my platform to be more vocal about this, which is one of the reasons why we're, we're talking about this this evening. But one of the things that Rashad hit on and, and we were actually talking about in the bank was the Black Lives Matter movement and the fact that um, I know you gentlemen felt that the movement lacked um, leadership 
and it really lacked like a, a strategy and um, a plan. Uh, so I just wanted to, because we just, uh, you know, as I said last week, we had people on the show from the movement. So want to get your opinion because I believe um, your opinion is what a lot of people think, which is one of the reasons why I had them on last week. Uh, but I think to your point, um, it, it also reveals that perhaps uh, all people are really seeing is marching and, and, and protesting whatever's being shown by the media. People aren't really seeing the strategy and the organizing that's needed. So I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on the Black Lives Matter movement, like what what you've seen and what you think is needed now, more so speaking to Rashad's point of us really needing to be strategic and not acting out of emotion. Um, this is Aaron. I think that um, he, he, he's absolutely right. And I think that what we were referring to in the bank was more or less um, not so much as, as just about being about Black Lives Matter, but just the black, um, just the, 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 the justice for black people in general. And I think the reason why um, Black Lives Matter came up is because they seem to be at the forefront of the struggle. Um, you know, and I think that what we're seeing in terms of, you know, um, results are falling short because there's nobody out front saying, all right, this is what we're going to do. You know, uh, I don't even know where the um, hashtag black banks came from, mm -hmm. but, you know, it, it came across my laptop and um, just like yourself. I said, you know what, I want to get involved. I want to do my part. So that's what led me into the bank, just like, every, you know, the rest of us who were there. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I don't know where that came from. And I think that that's part of the problem. Like, you know, when we start talking about boycotting certain things, I think that, you know, you can't just say, hey, you know, today we're going to boycott soft, uh, soft soap, you know, and nobody knows why. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows what the end result is going to be from the boycott, you know, I, I get it that, you know, we want to show our dominance as far as the black dollar is concerned, but what does that actually mean? And I don't think there's anybody standing out front that's saying, all right, this is what's going to happen. You know, in 2016, we need that Dr. King, we need that Malcolm figure. And uh, in my opinion, um, you know, and I'm not trying to uh, browbeat anybody or, or, or take anything away from anyone who's, who's doing uh, the best they can uh, with the struggle, but I think that that's exactly what what we're missing in 2016. Gentlemen, to my to my brother's point, he was talking about a Dr. King or others, and then you say how we're not having strong leadership. You know, it was really Ella Baker who said that leaders don't come from the top down, from the bottom up, mm. and and so and so it's not. I you know I I might I might think a little bit differently about that because all of us have can have a Malcolm X or Dr. King or Medgar Wiley Evers or Ella Baker or Fannie Lou Hamer or Frederick Douglass Inc. or Dorothy Cotton or the list goes on and on and on. Uh, instinct to us, we just have to act on those things. Ella Baker said, if you help people, give people light, they can find their own way. I don't think there's enough light that's being, light and love that is being given, even amongst ourselves. Uh, and that might be some of the reason we have uh, not found leaders who have been authentic. I'm trying to remember a quote here now, Akilah, that came from 
I'm going to paraphrase you your quotes. No, 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 but it, it's kind of relevant. It was, you know, it's Cornell West who really said something like, we don't f- f- define successful leaders being uh, adjusted, to in, adjusted to injustice uh, or indifference. We need great leaders who love people, love our people, and respect our people enough to be unbought, unbound, unafraid, and unintimidated to tell the truth. Part of the reason why we don't have many leaders like that now because they've been bought, they've been compromised. Mm. Uh, and they cannot speak out because they sold their soul to the devil, to the empire. Mm. The- Preach. <laughs> Talk about it, brother. Talk about it. And, and, and so it, that, 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 that's one of the primary concerns that we have now. The mm. same people that we need to be fighting are the ones we're going to with our hands out. That's mm. right. So you, that's why you see so many of our pseudo-leaders, and I emphasize the word pseudo, Yep. who don't have the guts or the fortitude, you know, to really stand up and speak out on these issues that are impacting those that we are supposed to be representing and loving and embracing and identifying mm-hmm. with. So the question becomes, really, now, who's going to step in? And the only one who really have the power now are not people, people who are our age and younger who mm-hmm. have not really been bought and compromised. That's why, you, Akilah, when you think about... February 1st, 1960, there were a group of four young college students who stood up. They weren't graduates. They didn't have a lot of bills. They didn't have to worry about their, 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 their children or if they were going to get fired. They had the courage to speak out on some, on some things, no matter what was going to be the, the, the consequence. I don't think a lot of us now are that sensitive to the needs of our own people. Sure, Mike Brown died. Sure, Eric Garner died two years ago yesterday on Staten Island. Sure, uh, uh, Philander uh, and, and, and the brother in Baton Rouge and Dallas, sure they all were killed. But since it has nothing to do with me and my, that's not really my concern, I'm not really connected to that. I can't mm-hmm. speak on it. If and until something happens to my child, that's or right. my cousin, right. or my brother, right. we want everybody to galvanize and sing Kumbaya. Yeah. So I think it's, there's got to be there's got to be something that connects us, our common plight. And you know, Fannie uh, Lou said it best: nobody is free until everybody is free. And so we have to really think along critical terms now. How are we going to begin to free ourselves? Sure, we might have a good education. Sure, we might have our nice homes and cars and all these other things. But until we live in a world, in a community, in a nation that really embraces and affirms all of us, particularly people of African ancestry. Uh, we've, got to, we've got to really think about how we can unite. And, 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 you know, our oppressor is not going to be the one that's going to get us out of this. We've got to think along these terms ourselves. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I appreciate you sharing all of that because uh, when we were at the bank, I think one of the things that came up was how can we encourage other people in our conversation and talking about leadership. And uh, I remember you mentioned you sharing, Aaron, how, you know, your friends just weren't for it, like because they didn't understand, you know, didn't didn't necessarily have all the answers as to what this movement was, what the result was really going to be that they were not about moving their money to a black bank. And, you know, we were having this whole conversation about where, how can we be the difference? You know, how can, in our action, 
you know, we get others in action. So, you know, speaking to, you know, what Rashad's point is that, you know, we, we can't necessarily be looking for someone to be out front and looking for us to be leaders, but it's actually an opportunity for all of us really to step up and, and get in action and be leaders. Because I know even from myself in, in, in doing what we did and in going to that bank, how many other people did the same just in, 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 in us sharing what we did. So I think it's it's so important for um, us all to, to be getting in action and not really necessarily waiting for someone to, I guess, lead us to the promised land, which it seems like, you know, some people are waiting for. Um, but I, I, I kind of want to go back to the conversation around boycotting, because when we were talking in the bank, there was a lot of going back and forth about, you know, why did we did we choose, you know, this particular retailer to boycott versus that retailer? And as a result of, I think, all of the reasoning, some people just chose not to to boycott anything at all. And, uh, and I think my argument with that is that, you know, if we analyze things too much and, and, and want, you know, to have an answer to everything, then we'll never be in action. You're constantly, you know, be, be, be questioning everything. So um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to even get Rashad's actually opinion on that because we kind of already argued it, I think, back and forth when we were in the bank. And I think that was pretty much the argument. But I guess, um, Rashad, what would you say to people who are questioning our need to boycott? And then even more so questioning our need to boycott. You know, I've seen some people say, you know, that we're boycotting something for a week where, you know, some people's response to that where a week doesn't make sense. So I'm just not going to do a week at all because it actually really needs to be a year. So if you look at what happened in 1955, December 1955, when King down in Montgomery, when King was able to galvanize not everybody, because everybody was not on one accord with King and his thinking. You know, he had some preachers and some, the NAACP in Montgomery and Birmingham, but not everybody was on board with it. He had a group of committed individuals who said, listen, we are tired of being treated as second-class uh, 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 citizens. We want to make a change. Now, to that point about 20, and so they put their, they saved their money. That was in New York. Even before that, uh, uh, Adam Clayton Powell, Jr., you know, pastor of Abyssinian Baptist Church for 20-some years, said, look, don't go where you're not served. Mm-hmm. Don't go into any stores where you're not treated or you're not employed or you're not hired. And he said, if you have to go in there, you got to go pay your cable, I mean, your electric bill, go pay it in penny and in dime. Mm-hmm. Go do that. So I think more than anything, it's, it's a week for me, Sure, it's not that relevant. It's not. It's not going to really to these organizations. It's not even going to impact. It's not even going to pension. But if we can begin to really understand that we have to organize mm-hmm. as a community, as a people, it's been a long time since Black folk have been able to get on one accord for something so fundamentally important as this. Mm-hmm. And I think if we could just learn, if we could save our money for a week, just for a week, if we could put aside a hundred dollars you know a week instead of going to target or instead of instead of going to macy's or neiman marcus or wherever you want to go and buy something instead of going 
uh, uh, I'm not going to some of these fast food restaurants. Use that night to cook at home. Send that money back to one of your to one of the organizations. Hell, if you don't know where to go, send it to North Carolina A and T. We have tons <laughs> of struggling black colleges who are in need of who are in need of these resources. So I think there is something very very important about us understanding that if yes, there's some changes that must be made in this country. And you know, for me, when you say what is a week going to do, that's just like asking saying, "Well, why should I vote?" Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. Oh, I don't see it. my vote isn't going to count. Saving my money won't count. Mm-hmm. You can invest that money. That's mm-hmm. what you think about. The, you think about the village of Harlem, where I've been now for a decade. There is not one black-owned bodega in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Not one. Not one. And there are hundreds of bodegas in this community, but there's not one black-owned bodega. Mm-hmm. Now. Just imagine if colored folk had the courage to pool their resources together, to save their money, to go invest their money uh, uh, in an organization or institution that meets the pressing needs and demands of our people, to train, to groom, to prepare the next generation. Mm. Imagine what kind of change could happen as a result of that. We've got to really think, beginning to think along those terms, and I don't think... In a large proportion, we've, we've done that to the extent that we should. So, yes, I'm totally on board with this starting off. It's just for a week, we can move it to something larger. We can move it from a week, we can go from a month. We can go from a month, we can go to six months. But I think we have to begin to really think along economic lines now because that's the only thing people understand. That's right. Finances, or you killing one of theirs. You see now there's almost a national crisis going on now because eight officers have been killed. Right, mm-hmm. right. So let me piggyback off what uh, Rashad just said. He was speaking on the Montgomery uh, uh, boys boycott. My question for everybody is, what would happen if if everybody pulled their resources back then and started their own bus company? What type of uh, uh, revolution would that have started, you know? We're talking about, uh, you know, pulling our money together to invest in banks and things like that. But but what are we going to do to start our own gas stations and our own communities, start our own department stores and our own communities and pull these resources now instead of just boycotting these other companies and then we don't have any, uh, uh, to replace these uh, bodegas in our communities or whatnot? What can we do now to start that action where we can pull our money together and start having our own black-owned businesses in our communities that are for us and create jobs for our people in our communities. Well, I think that's the really the, 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 the catalyst that would be for us to change things. Well, I think one one big piece of is that I'm totally for us boycotting the retail stores, but I do believe that moving our money to black-owned banks will put... Uh, African-Americans in a better position to be able to get loans, to become entrepreneurs, and to further some of the current Black-owned businesses to be able to expand and hire. Because, you know, to your point, I definitely think that's something that we should be planning for. We, we definitely need to have it, it. It just doesn't make any sense, you know, to Rashad's points to have, you know, an area like Harlem not have any black owned bodegas. Like that's just, you know, it's, it's kind of insane. So I definitely believe that 
one way that we can do it is is by moving our money to black owned institutions or and starting more of them because right now there isn't enough of them you know some people are scrambling to find institutions to put their money because there aren't black owned institutions in everyone's state so i think that's one area i don't know if anybody else has um other suggestions as well i think that um we're definitely moving in the right direction in terms of putting putting our money in, in black banks and so on um i think that overall um just that idea of moving your money and putting that out there is starting to uh wake people up and get them more conscious and what and what's going on but we also suffer from that you know that crabs in a barrel um syndrome where it's like well when I get a little bit of money, I want it to work for me. I don't really want it to work for my community because, you know, if 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 I employ if I employ this person and he starts making more money than me, then what then what about me? You know that sort of thing. And I think that um, the education is is also uh, what's lacking in our community, and that's kind of holding holding people back. Um, you know, educating ourselves on. Uh, investments, educating ourselves on starting a business and what it takes and so on and so forth. So, Anybody else want to add to that? No, I think, I think, it's, I think it's all very important. But he, he, he touched on something. I don't want to get too excited on this. But he touched on something here about <laughs> the crabs in the barrel syndrome. Listen, you know what? In as much, in as much as one of the all of the underlying notion of what we're talking about is this wicked, devilish concept of white supremacy that has been spread that has spread throughout North America like a, an infesting, gaping malignancy, a cancer. Right. White white supremacy and privilege is the auspices of everything we're talking about right now. But, but my dear brothers and my sister here. What we also have to understand is we have too many pseudo-sophisticated color folk who've gotten in positions of privilege and forgotten to, as you, as my brother said, to teach, to educate, to bring back in. Look, 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 it was, it was, uh, uh, I forgot her name now. But, uh, Mary McLeod Bethune said, go as high as you want to go, but lift as you climb. And I think that's been one of the, one of the things I have to really attack about us that we have to do a better job on is lifting one another, loving one another, supporting, affirming one another, uh, 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 not waiting for a savior, you know, not expecting, you know, anybody else, a white man or woman to do this for us, but having the courage, the love, uh, to really do this for ourselves. Because if we don't, we're going to continue to see such a major divide in our community. Mm-hmm. And uh, until we face this thing head on and get those uh, persons who are successful, who are educated, who, who, who are financially secure, to be just as concerned, just as consumed, just as wedded to dismantling these systems of inequality as the rest of us are, nothing is really going to change for us. That's true. So I guess the question becomes, you know, I, 
know, what, 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 is, what, what can we do? What can, I, I think I was talking to Akila about this, uh, what can our organizations do, our, our, our civic groups? These, so she yeah. just talked about coming back from the boule and fraternities and churches and churches. So you can know, I interrupt you for a second, brother? I, I think that that goes back to um, the whole leadership thing, right? It's like um, it's not that, and I'm only speaking for myself, you know, just based on the conversation. It's not that you know I'm looking for somebody to step up and take the reins and basically say, "Hey, you know, I'm leading the charge." But I think that there there are a lot of different groups who wanna who wanna make change. But it's like, okay, if I go to you know, first AME Baptist. I, I just made that up. But if there's really a first AME Baptist, shout out to y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but if if you know, if I go to first AME Baptist and we're doing we're doing a boycott on you know uh, Walmart, and, and you know this group over here is doing something else, and everybody's scattered around trying to make their own way without one person being in the middle saying, "Hey, brothers, this is what." you know, collectively we think is a good idea. Let's do this. And I think that it needs to be somebody who can bring in, you know, the, the, the elite, so to speak, um, from the black communities, you know, um, people who, who are influential and, and, and have the financial backing to make certain things happen, you know, but that's just and, my opinion on that. And I'd actually also like to throw in there is that we're seeing a lot of women, on the front lines, women organizing. And I wanted to speak to some men because, you know, I'd like to know what role do you feel that you play in in this movement? That I, I think men are needed in this movement to, to step up and, you know, in, in many different ways. And it, you know it's, it's not present. Huh? I, think that's a very good, I think that's a very good point because even going back to the civil rights movement, we've got to really be honest. You know, I, I, there would be no civil rights movement of the 1960s had it not been for some freedom-loving black women. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They were on the There would be no SCLC or NAACP had it not been for the work of Fannie Lou Hamer uh, with the Mississippi Freedom Party, Democratic Party or mm-hmm. Ella Josephine Baker of uh, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and, and, and she was a field director for NAACP. She was the one that really challenged King. And so many other, Dorothy Cotton. So many, and, and even today, when we think about those individuals who started BLM, Black Lives Matter, just as a hashtag, these were just three, two or three socially conscious sisters. Mm-hmm. At every meeting I go to, every protest, every organization we're talking about, when we think about activists, when we think about people who are concerned about the forward progress of people of our African ancestry, those who are most vocal, those who are on the front lines, are nine times out of ten sisters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sisters. <laughs> i got to call it the way it is now. That's a fact. I'm not speaking on That's a fact. Sisters. And so... I, in as much as we 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 are enamored and, and wedded and to to modeling Dr. King and Medgar Wiley Evers and and, and and Jesse Jackson and, and Ralph Abernathy and so many others, you know, we have to really keep in mind that if it had not been for the women, 
there would be no, and the same applies today. So I guess the question becomes, is Dr. King posed in 1967, where do we go from here? Where do we go? We can't, we can't expect anyone else to answer that but us. Mm. But us. We have to answer it for us and on our behalf. Where well, we got... Well, let's, let's, I mean, let's answer that. Because, I mean, we have about... I can't believe how fast this interview went. We got about six minutes. So, I mean, maybe we'll, we'll end on a final note that way is, you know, just have all of you kind of comment on where do you think we go from here? And... You know, what role are you willing to play, you know, as a black man and, and so close to the heart of all of this? Uh, you know, what what role are you willing to, to play in, um, you know, impacting change? I know don't don't everybody jump at once. Right? It's, it's, it's a hard question because I don't think many of us know where we go from here. Look. If we had the answers, we might not be in this predicament right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't want to just take up all the space in the room. I just think it's really, first of all, by understanding who we are from a historical aspect, loving one another, supporting one another, believing that we can win, we can overcome all of these different systems that conspire to keep us down. If we just, just, just have the courage to see our worth, our value, and believe in one another. And that starts with mentoring. That starts with advising. That starts with, with community building. That's, that starts with volunteering. That starts with believing in a cause that's bigger than self. That's, you know, it, it's, I, I think how can, where we go from here, moving from self-centeredness to uh, a centered self. That's where we can go, where we, where we can be truly wedded moving our if we can if we can move ourselves along we can move our families along. we can move our families along we can move our communities along and if community by and block by block and street by street do that imagine what type of change we made mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i uh i think that for me um you know my uh, educating um young brothers and sisters and trying to uh, get the word out you know the more that i learn uh, I try to pass it on and and and, um, and look towards the the near future. Um, not saying that I, I you know I, I'm going to turn my back on the struggle now, but I think that the future is the key. And I think that you know the more that we educate ourselves as Black people um, in, a, in a wide array of of different areas, um, you know, from financial to like he said, self um, self awareness and whatnot, all these different things uh, will start to bring about change because you know that will that will kind of debunk that whole crabs in a barrel syndrome once we start learning who we are and what we can do. You know, Joe, you there? Yes, I'm here. I'm trying to hang in there. <laughs> the conversation is so engaging, but I think most. Uh, what Rashad and Aaron said is, you know, amazing. But I think the mo- most important thing is we got to continue these type of conversations, uh, you know, daily and weekly. You know, and we have to keep this going because we don't want the momentum to just fall, uh, to die out. And then this become another memory that everybody just forgets. It's all oh, just another black person died by the hand- hands of police and whatnot. And I think we do need to focus on having an, an agenda that's, 
uh, on one accord and where everybody could kind of kind of put their uh, thoughts into, and we could try to work toward improving those things. But if we're all in uh, voting on different things and marching for different reasons, and we don't have one agenda and we don't have no plan behind it, I mean, it's not nothing's going to work. It's going to keep right. this causing disruption. That's right. Hmm. Not to mention, real quick, there 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 were, there were coons out there. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna keep, oh, hey, we listen. forgot about the coons. Hey, listen. I, hey, look. I, I hey, and I actually, you know, uh, Rashad spoke on on the coons who are still getting paid by you know White Hollywood and stuff, so they can't really speak on uh, what matters, you know. And the people who are getting paid by these large corporations, right. they can't really speak their voice. I mean, look at Delta Airlines telling telling their employees that they can't speak on Black Lives Matter. How many other corporations that we know of or don't know of that are doing the same thing? But yeah, you can speak on L LGBT community all day alone. Mm-hmm. You know, Q, you're talking on a on a larger scale. What about the police community where they see this going on, but they can't step up and say, "Hey, that's wrong." Well, well, the problem is the, the the problem is the chief is controlled by the mayor, and, and most likely the mayor is white, so he can't really make these type of decisions. You know, only only cities that we really see this in is Dallas and Atlanta, where a mayor is actually speaking up. And, um, you know, because it affects them, too. When they're not a mayor, they're just a regular black American like anybody else, you know. That's right. And until they get pulled over and get harassed in a different city without showing any type of credentials, then they'll understand where we're coming from. That's right. But if they're going to act ignorant to what's going on, like they didn't grow up from 1970 on, then that's the problem we still face right now. Sorry, well, I'm sorry, I got to cut y'all. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's crazy how, how fast uh, the... So we're going to do this next Monday then. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm really thinking that we do need to do a part two. If y'all, if y'all are available, I'm definitely down. But thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. To our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you join us late, you can catch the full show on iHeartRadio.com by searching Keeping It Beauty. Check out iambeautyinc.com for all the upcoming events and apparel. Join us next week, same place, same time. And please do tell a friend. I leave you this week with a quote from Ella Baker. One of the things that has to be faced is the process of waiting to change the system. How much we have got to do is find out who we are, where we have come from, and where we are going. Make this a great week with peace and love. Until next Monday, be beauty. Thank you. Thank you.